Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of AmazingSpiderTalk.com, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals. And I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, and I, too, own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but the annuals don't count. Well, thanks for joining us for a special team-up episode of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between four fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yeah, if you want to learn everything we know about Spidey, why not subscribe to our show starting back with the very first season? Yeah, and if you want to, you can enjoy the show on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or your podcast player of choice. We'd love to have you along for our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future. Just head on over to AmazingSpiderTalk.com for all the details about where to subscribe. If you enjoy the show and want to help us to continue while getting amazing bonus content and additional episodes that we never release publicly, go to our show notes and check out our Patreon page and consider joining the team. And on that note, we wanted to offer a special thanks to our newest Patreon member, Jordan Ganest, for helping to make this and all of our podcasts possible. So what are we talking about today, Dan? Yeah, we're going to talk about Spider-Man Life Story, the story by Chip Zdarsky and Mark Bagley that's been coming out over the past six months, all six issues of it in one go. It's not really a review roundup, Mark. You and I kind of wanted this for this to finish before we talked about it. But even more special is that we're joined by the Untold Talks of Spider-Man crew, Kane and Matthew, to talk about the book. We just thought, why not put together both of our podcasts, the chocolate and the peanut butter, to make the great Reese's that's going to be our discussion of this book. Yeah, like I said on Twitter, Dan, it's the secret war or secret wars of uh, of podcasts right now. Well, speaking of which, you know, we talked about our, our Patreon. This episode has been live on the Patreon for a number of weeks now. So if you did want to get it early, that was the place to do so, like all of our future content. But, you know, let's not wait any longer. Let's get right to Spider-Man Life Story by Chip Zdarsky and Mark Bagley. What's new? I am leading a roundtable here of very friendly faces. Uh, we're going to go one by one and just introduce ourselves. So first up is my mischievous friend. It is William F. Buckley. 
Oh, sorry. You said roundtable. I thought it was something like highfalutin here. It is I, Mark Giannacchio. How are you, Dan? I'm doing really well, really well. For time's sake, we're going to move on to the next person before you and I start some inevitable banter. You know, it, I'm not even sure what your adjective is, Matthew. What What is your adjective? Mundane, I guess, works. Oh, that was it. Mundane, Matthew. So hi, Matt. Hey, hey, everyone. Well, who are you? Who, who am I? I am one half of the Untold Talks. You may or may not have heard of us because we still remain untold. Oh, that's quite interesting. Well, what about your other half? Why don't you give him the introduction? My partner in crime here, Kane. Do you want to say hi for the people? Uh, hello, I'm Kane. That's Kane Winstead, the other half of Untold Talks of Spider-Man. We're doing a mega team up here for you to talk about a story that is not untold, not retold, although kind of, uh, it is Spider-Man life story. No, not life theft. It is Spider-Man life story written by Chip Zdarsky and illustrated by spider artist Mark Bagley. Let's start with some of our friends here. Kane. Yes. Spider-Man life story. You guys have talked a little bit about it already on, on your show and the B-title roundups. Let's give our general impressions. What did you think of this story? I really liked it. Not to jump to the very end, but I, I definitely got a little misty-eyed. The first two issues, I think, were a little shaky for me. But once we hit that 80 story, and then from going forward, I was 100% on board. Awesome. Uh, Matthew, what about yourself? A little more mixed opinion on this one. A lot of the stuff that I really wanted to see out of a story like this felt like it happened in between the comics. And so some of the stuff that gets glazed over or dropped is really where I wanted to dig. So I don't know. But that being said, each issue had a lot of fun stuff in it. And I really enjoyed what was there. So I don't want to judge it too harshly for what wasn't, you know. My mischievous significant other. What about yourself? I guess I'm somewhere in between uh, Matt and Kane here. I mean, it's for me, I, I really like applaud like the experimental nature of this series I, I i would love to see marvel do more stuff like this especially with spider-man i feel like it's really been a while since we've had some kind of like out of continuity story like this that kind of pushed the envelope a bit and didn't feel like it was rehashing the same old things over and over with all that said like i feel like they were just cr- trying to cram so much into this story that like there was just so many things that just got dropped by the wayside or happened off panel or in between issues. And like, to me, that just kind of makes it a bit of an incomplete. So that's, that's where I stand on it. Yeah. And as for myself, I think I kind of share everybody's opinion in, in one way or another on this book, which is a great opinion to hold everyone's opinion. I felt like this is the rare series where you're like, Oh, I need six more issues of this to really like flesh it out. Like there is very few times where I I felt like, hey, this could really do a lot better to be more decompressed. And I feel like this is one of those. And I I do hope that maybe there are times where we can revisit this universe. It was really different than what I was expecting. I was kind of expecting this kind of like re, you know, recap of Spider-Man's stories to see how his aging really affected it. But what it really seems to me to be is a story where the consequences of Spider-Man and his actions and his world are held as 
like firm, solid things that just have repercussions moving forward. And in that way, it really reminds me of like a book like Invincible or another kind of indie image book that runs for a long time that, you know, we don't have to change writers on. This feels less episodic more than it does like, you know, obviously it's it's summing up Spider-Man into one kind of coherent life story, if you will. And in that regard, I thought it was really interesting. And yeah, it's overstuffed, but... I felt like a lot of the times when I wasn't getting stuff, it only made me more curious to see that rather than make, feeling like I was missing something. It, it sparked the imagination about how this world still fits together. And even for a book like this, where I know everything I need to know about Spider-Man, it still managed to surprise me, which was really wonderful. Uh, so reactions to that. Any additional thoughts? Yeah, so I kind of like the amalgamation of certain like major points or events throughout the decades that really mixed it up to different things. I mean, obviously in the 80s, you know, you have uh, Craven's Last Hunt blended with the whole symbiote idea, which makes for a big churn at the end. Or in the 90s, you have the clone stuff mixing with the Morloon and kind of the kids. Like, all that stuff really made it its own comic and not just so much of a rehash. But at the same time, you have some new elements mixing in, especially when it came to the romance side of things, that felt kind of unearned in some ways because we never had time to let that developer show any of it. You just kind of had to assume Pete was pretty good by the woman he was with at the time. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Like, there's very little time for, like, the downside, the kind of, like, even the funny, fun nature of Spider-Man. This tale kind of, like, by taking the consequences so seriously, gets quite serious. And it almost feels, in a way, like 90s Spider-Man throughout, in in some ways. Like, the whole time I was reading this, it felt like a JMD story, because it takes it so seriously, and the psychology of it also seriously and i like you know mark and i have discussed on our show before that we don't like craven's last hunt we really like but it's hard to say it's a good representation of all spider-man stories and in that way i felt like this book was kind of missing that kind of fun flavor of it if only because it was dealing with so many of the consequences all the time if i could jump in dan i mean like you, you mentioned like it felt like a 90s story and i agree with you and i agree with you about the jmd point but like to me it also and this was kind of also one of my overarching issues with it. Like, like to me, there's just way too much focus on the clones in this story. Like, like this is like, if I was not a long-term Spider-Man fan over the last almost 60 years of the story, I would have thought that this character has just been defined by clones his entire lifespan. And like to me, like clones is really it's really just one era. And then we've kind of had this like nostalgic like rebirth of it in in like the last decade or so because of like basically the people who read those stories in the 90s are now writing the books. But like like to, like, you know, like do we really think that Spider-Man is that defined by clones? I mean, is am I am I missing something here? Like, is he is it the clone story with Spider-Man? I like I, I don't I am, I am I like overselling this a bit? You don't remember the most definitive Spider-Man story of all time, Maximum Clonage? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're you're wrong about that, Mark. It's funny because I think my favorite chapter of this whole thing is the 1970s chapter, just because I feel like it so effortlessly weaves in all of the major stories from that run and and ties them all in together. But in doing so, it does elevate that clone story, which you and I just talked about on the show to 
really ginormous thing. And it kind of like has to, in order to pull off the nineties thing that it's doing here, but it really makes Ben into a character there when in the seventies, he really wasn't. And so it just spends a lot of time on that. So you almost get two major clone sagas in this book. And the seventies one almost eclipses the one that we get in the nineties issue in this book. Yeah, I guess that's all it is. It's it, uh, for me, like the 70s clone saga, as we dedicated a whole episode to, has pr- gone on to proven to be significant, but it was significant because, uh, you know, as we've had on this show before, a group of writers in the 90s decided that was a, a story that needed to be mined for more content. But, like, you know, when I'm thinking, thinking of like the things that have defined Spider Man as a story, I don't know if it's like, it's, I guess it's the tail wagging the dog here. I mean, are we, do we focus on the clones because that the clone saga just became so much of the nineties. And now we're all kind of feeding off of that because again, the people who are writing it now live those stories in real time. Or is it because it's truly that significant of a chapter of Spider-Man's history that like that elevates the seventies story? I don't know. I mean, like it's to me, like I, I, I like you're right, Dan, that seventies, the chapter was really good and how it kind of weaved those things together. But like the fact that like, the ultimate kind of resolution of that whole thing was clones kind of kind of threw me. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't see clones as being that much of a driving force over the entire lifespan of Spider-Man, which is what we got in this miniseries here. I don't disagree. I think for the merits of this story, it like really makes sense to have weaved it the way it has. So it's like, what do you value? The the coherent you know, six issue story or the, you know, I'm sure there's another way to do it to make it a coherent six issue story, but it really worked for me in in that regard. And that's why that seventies one really stood out, but you're right. Yeah. It is weird to conclude even Gwen's death is a whole clone reveal, right? Like, no, it wasn't the clone Gwen that died. It was the real Gwen that died instead of any kind of bridge shenanigans. And it's clever, but it's not really in the same spirit of what was happening before. Right. Also, thinking about it again, I feel like the clone stuff was kind of the thread that pulled a lot of it together because through the clone stuff, we have the Miles stuff with Gwen. We have the 90s, you know, obviously the clone stuff. And then, like, through that, we get the kind of final comeuppance of Norman being kind of the chess master there because they can't really have him do the green gobbling when he's presumably, what, 100? I don't know what age he started at. Uh, but. <laughs> You know, so they kind of make that clone idea and then the switcheroo of, well, Peter knew that he wasn't the clone because he bothered to test himself idea, which was kind of interesting, kind of also like to me like, oh, yeah, he never did do that on the other side, did he? Until far later. So which you guys also talked about, like they were going to do the test and then didn't bother to early on. I I just thought it was interesting how they played the switcher around that. But I feel like because we were so focused on more of the science films throughout with uh, some obvious exceptions that that just kind of became a way to have a through line through this book where otherwise it was going to feel a lot more disparate. I wonder how much of this is just due to like people like Zdarsky and, and the other kind of writers who are working on the Spider-Man character as of recent, be, you know, probably like coming into their adulthood in the 90s, right? That was the story that they kind of latched onto the character with as adults. And so it, it's kind of informed their writing largely. Uh, you know, it, it, at least it seems to be that way. And I don't, I'm still figuring out what Zdarsky's tastes are. It is weird, as you noted, uh, Matt, that this is the guy that spent, you know, 20 some issues with Peter Parker's sister 
when he was writing a book. And now we're spending all this time talking about clones and, and a book with, that's largely devoid of humor, which is like Zdarsky's calling card. It's weird to see him doing this and now Daredevil, both of which are very non-humorous books. I, I think it's interesting because here he's showing that he has a bigger grasp of Spider-Man's history and is willing to play with some of that tap tapestry, which we didn't get in Spectacular. But at the same time, you're right, like I was missing for the quips and that Spider-Man flavor. And here we have the super serious Chip Zdarsky, which is a new side of him I don't think we've seen before in anything. And it, it overall, it's pretty good. But man, he could have let some of that flavor drip through in a few lines here and there. I think we did see a little bit of that, but it was played mostly through Ben during the whole like hostage situation. Uh, while Otto is monologuing, Ben's throwing out a whole bunch of jokes and quips and it struck me because it was, again, like one of the only times we really saw a lot of Zdarsky's jokiness coming out in this book. Yeah. What did you guys think about the thematics of this story? I mean, to me, it seems to be kind of dealing with that whole, like, how much does Peter invest in his life as Spider-Man versus his family? And, you know, we kind of, we don't do the one more day thing, but they do find a way to split up Peter and MJ. Like, does this feel like a Spider-Man tale to you guys? I definitely think so. So at the very start of that, gosh, I think it was the 70s story, we have Peter looking at Flash Thompson's grave and kind of reminiscing and apologizing. And and Gwen comes up to him and, and basically flat out says that, you know, you live in the past and you need to allow yourself to become happy. And it seems like the first three issues of this story is about Peter learning how to move out of the past and kind of more toward the present. And we finally get closure on that when he kind of gives up his life and gives it to Ben so that he can go retire in Portland with MJ and kind of like a call out to final adventure. And then the uh, next three stories after that is kind of just the, the ramifications of that and, and his, you know, his past coming out to haunt him in the aughts and then in the tens coming together and doing what he can to protect the future and leave a better future than he had left. It makes, it makes sense to me. I, I found the final image of this book of him with his dream has become one of, you know, he's having a dream of stopping the burglar, but it's not a negative dream anymore. It's, it's a, it's a happy one. It's like him resolving to get over this guilt that he feels and and to like you know use it as a, as a like a, a forward momentum like you said like this this positive outlook towards the future yeah on the topic of his guilt what do you all think of the idea of the Vietnam War as a framing issue in this comic because to me that was very interesting I mean it's like I always felt like especially if you go back to sixties Marvel like you know obviously you know Stan Lee tried to be proactive and progressive in, in, in many ways. But like, you know, he never like came right out and said anything pro-war, anti-war or anything like that. And obviously this one kind of hits, you know, hits it more directly. Right. Well, I mean, we have the benefit of hindsight now and that idea. But also the way that they handle it, I mean, because in this now alternate Marvel 
history, the war goes on longer, but the whole idea of how Captain America interacted with that and how he went in and then started saving everybody he could from each other was this fascinating idea that I was like, give me a six issue mini of that. I'm interested about that. And as we go on, we then see Captain America show up in the Secret Wars segment for just a brief little bit. And then he's at war with Tony again, whereas Tony was the warmonger in the NOM. And so they're already having their little civil war at the beginning of what this story is. And I thought that was such a bizarre, different take with those characters. But we only get small glimpses of it. And I was kind of curious how Captain America was coming out or still wearing the stars and bars by the time we get to the Secret Wars section that I just felt like they kind of dropped the thread there and that story was never resolved in a way that would have affected Peter because Cap kind of releases him of his duty to need to go to that war when Flash kind of raises that question for him by saying, you know, you're taking care of things here and you can't let the events of the day dictate your life, which is kind of an interesting thing to take, especially for this many, I thought. But yeah, I I think really, if we had seen a little more of that, it could have really framed the story in a very different way that might have been more impactful and maybe more political. The impact of it for me was felt mostly in the moment in the 80s where MJ counters Peter and says, you know, I know you're Spider-Man essentially, and that like you have the power to stop Flash from going to Vietnam and he would have been alive with, you know, if you had actually like not been a coward. Uh, And that's interesting to me. It's like he's absolved of his role in Vietnam, but his role as Spider-Man still means that he has a a part to play and and it, it almost like leverages another death on top of him. And, and, and to me, that was like the most interesting thing out of Nam uh, specifically, but, it, but it's fun that we have this kind of almost like Watchmen universe where the war ended up a different way and, and shaped the rest of the, and I love that it bleeds into the kind of new cold war and we get the Tony versus Spider-Man scene on the front steps of Parker industries. Like, they're not fighting in costume anymore. They're these two old men arguing with each other uh, before Peter deactivates his, you know, suits of armor around his younger assistant. It, it's all those same moments playing out. Uh, I thought it was just really deftly handled. And the idea to tie all those wars together, I think it's really clever. Even if you're right, it doesn't necessarily come to a, a great conclusion in the kind of random last chapter that's in outer space. It is there, right? It, there's an implication that Doom and Stark are... It's an ongoing war that he's putting an end to, finally, in issue six. Right, but there's also that big implication about the Russian-American war that Craven's even embroiled in during the 80s that r- raises so many questions, and it's kind of left there. There's a lot going on in the background of this story, and... You're right. Like it's the Vietnam War kind of threads its way through and kind of bleeds into all these other ones. But for me, also like what Matt said, there was so much interesting stuff happening in Vietnam that it felt like those first two issues were almost overshadowed by whatever was being implied was happening in Vietnam. And I almost wanted to get rid of that stuff so I could focus more on Spider-Man and and his 
kind of smaller, smaller world. I feel like the 60s issue is the most odd one of a bunch. And it makes sense that it would be because it's the only one that doesn't really have Peter be time displaced in some way. Like we knew Peter growing up in the 60s as he was, you know, and, and for the most part, the Stanley Steve Dicko run like ran out in real time. You know, they make reference to to that as such. And it seems like Zdarsky doesn't really want to touch the Dicko run in, in a way. We've skipped past it. We're four years into him Spider-Manning. And, and that's really interesting to me. But I also think that that issue is loaded with all of the world building that needs to be done. And so you've got things like the Vietnam War, which is kind of really, I agree with you, it's a bit overbearing in that issue. And and you have to introduce all these other elements. And so I think it seem, it kind of comes across as the least interesting in regards to what the book is actually trying to do. But I think it's worth it ultimately for the stuff you get down the road. My biggest question for you guys is how did you feel about the fact that Doc Ock and Aunt May actually hooked up? (laughs) (laughs) In all seriousness, I, I, you know, to fast forward to the the last issue of the series, I, I liked how Peter, you know, essentially not being good enough for May was Otto's fuel for perpetrating the mind, the mind swipe with Miles in that issue. Like, I thought that was kind of a clever inversion of it, you know, like not not to take anything away from Dan Slott and Superior, because it's probably Dan Slott's masterwork on Spider-Man. But like, you know, at the end of the day, like the motivation for that switch, I mean, it was more just Doc Ock trying to cheat death. Whereas I feel like here, like it, there was a little more personal connection there. And, and I, I kind of bought it more like that. He would go to that length to try and mess with Peter. What I found so interesting about that and all of that, including Miles, is that how much it relies on your knowledge of the Spider-Man mythos. It, this book is so heavy on Spider-Man lore and winks and nods. I mean, I think that's why I personally enjoyed the 70s issue so much. I mean, it literally ends with a reworked scene of the clo- the door closing scene between Peter and MJ. It's like every moment has got some like clever you know, reworking of an old story. And I have to imagine that would go right over the head of so many people that aren't as, you know, knowledgeable about the character as anybody here. And and that's not like a loss for those people other than it is that they're not going to be able to enjoy this quite as much. And I wonder if this story works in that way. Like I think Spider-Man Blue is a book you could give to any person, whether they know anything about the Romita, you know, Dicko era's, at, at all. Whereas, you know, this book, you really need to be saturated in Spider-Man lore to get it. Like, I guess everybody knows who Miles is now, but like, he's not seated anywhere in this book. He just shows up at the end and you have to accept, okay, this guy is carrying on Spider-Man's legacy or something. We get like a two panel thing. That's like, oh, he got bit by a spider too. But there's so many things in this book where if you don't know what it's referencing, it would just seem completely random. So I'm curious what you guys think like about a book like this. Like, Obviously, there's a market for it. It did pretty well. Do you want more things like this, or do you like a more even-handed thing like Spider-Man Blue? As a certified super fan, I am always down for just real meaty stuff that might not maybe hold that, hold my hand. This, this sounds a little pejorative, but... You know, something that that acknowledges the fact that I've been, you know, following this character for 
decades now at this point, and I'm vested in the lore and can kind of play off that. Matt and I were running through one of the Clone Saga stories this morning for the the main show, and one of my points was that Every, so much of this uh, story was lost because we had to recap and run through everything that was going on because it was still kind of the 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 era of everyone is or every comic is your first comic or every comic is someone's first Marvel comic, and so I I kind of appreciated this one that it didn't really over explain things that if you're picking up a Spider Man B title you're probably going to already know. So uh, for me, it's kind of hard because, I mean, you're talking Spider-Man Blue and that's holy territory, my friend. But uh, you're also talking to someone who picked up, you know, Reptilian Rage along when he was picking up all this. And so I, I, I'm definitely down for this kind of book. I guess for me, when you get to like the Miles point, what kind of killed it for me is we have all this building with some ways kind of addressing that um, Edge of the Spider-Verse bit or into the Spider-Verse bit, so many Spider-Verses, where Peter goes and has kids with MJ, he kind of comes back to MJ to do that. And so we have this carrying forward of the legacy. And then at the last minute, they throw in Miles, and he's the one who's the new Spider-Man, even though he has Spider-Kids who seem to be able to hold their own against Marloon and all that. And so I'm just kind of thinking like, it works because we know Miles, but for the sake of this story, throwing in Miles at this point feels kind of like a weird knee jerk just to go on continuity. So I, I, I definitely would love to see more of these kinds of books, but I like to see them just kind of hold to their own standard a bit more. Yeah, we still need something. It still needs to be organic, even. And but like at the same token, like you know, we talk a lot about certainly cinematically this idea of fan service and. You know that's essentially what we got here in comic book form. I mean, this is this is ultimate fan service for for the fans like us who pick up Reptilian Rage and uh, Amazing Spider-Man, you know, and everything else. So that's the thing. Like, I don't think if you're unfamiliar with the very deep layers of the mythos that you would necessarily not enjoy this book still, because I still think there's enough there. That even for casual fans, like, oh, I, I know what they're talking about. But then you got fans like us and we're getting like the layers upon layers upon layers. And then we get a little extra out of it because at the end of the day, like we're the one, not that we're the ones that need to be impressed because I don't think we do. I think we're probably in the very vast minority of the audience. But like if we're going to like come on air and sing the praises of the story, I mean, they got to do something to kind of wow us, I guess. I don't know. Maybe like vast deep deep thoughts i don't know deep deep cuts i don't know i'm 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 rambling here save me dan save me (laughs) no no, i I think you're right i think you're right i mean it is the kind of like candy for the for the super fans Uh, i I just finished reading a few months ago that the batman white knight story and i thought it was brilliant and i'm sure there's a ton of batman references in there that i didn't pick up on but it, it it also covers so much of kind of inverted batman history and and things like that and uh I love a good book like this and I I would like Marvel to take more chances in doing kind of, you mentioned at the top of the show, off continuity stuff. Uh, I feel like, you know, Marvel's line's greatest strength is that they have an ongoing timeline, but I also feel like they don't, you know, embrace the opposite 
too, and they certainly should. You know, you've got DC with their black label doing all kinds of interesting stuff, and it would behoove them. It would be a good thing for them to take some risks and try stuff like this. I think this is kind of like the thrill of what Spider-Verse, you know, promised, uh, but realized in a more, like, complete fashion. There you go. So you want to see, like, Spider-Man Elseworlds, just, like, different take on the mythos, or just different stories that just aren't continuity-bound, just that whole that whole play? Yeah, I think that would be great. I mean, we get it every once in a while, but most of them seem to be in continuity. Like, I'm thinking about, like, Spider-Man Fever, right? Like, that was a crazy book that was a lot of fun, but I think also kind of in continuity to a certain regard. And Marvel's playing with Elseworlds a lot more recently because of the love of the Spider-Verse and and these things, and the what-ifs came back recently. But to get something so, like, singular in its vision and bold and driven by, like... I mean, this clearly seems to be Chip Zdarsky came to them and was like, I want to do this. It wasn't like a Marvel mandate. It was like, I have this story I want to tell and an, a unique approach to it. And I think Marvel should be open to, you know, more writers doing that. Like if they can't do it within the confines of continuity, why not do a miniseries about it? Definitely. And I mean, we, we've kind of hit on say, some of the more negative points, at least from our points of view, but I feel overall this was strong and I'm glad to have read it. Definitely. And some of the stuff that I focused on that I was like, well, what happened to this? What happened to that was because I was interested enough to care, to want to read more, which as you point out, Dan, like so often now we kind of wish comics were a little tighter. And this was a time where I would have gladly taken double the issues to get that much more out of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a compliment of the highest form in terms of the current state of the medium right now. I mean, it's like, you know, like if this was a Bendis story, it would be like 60 issues long at this point, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it would actually take the time of the decades to get yeah. through it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or someone's whole life. I, I love this. It was an immediate top of my pile read. I, I had no idea what to expect. And, and it was those little like winks to continuity that kept me back. I mean, I kept saying the seventies issue was my favorite one, but those seventies and eighties issues were so pitched like right at a Spider-Man nerd that like I, I I was thrilled to see how it connected almost above the like characterizations, which I thought were the thinner part of the story. But the but the it, it's the masterfulness of like, oh, I see how you could dovetail those stories together, you know, and, and make them work that I I thought was so neat. Like even just the idea of combining Venom and Craven together, like it's kind of silly, but like taking the two dark characters from Spider-Man mythos and combine them in an interesting way and having the symbiote dig Peter out of the grave was like really clever in my mind. And, you know, in the back of my mind, I could hear Alan Churstall screaming about what is dark and stupid stuff. But like, I thought this was actually dark and really clever. We have not really talked about the art at all on this book. Like to me, it was like like both like a highlight and like a low light. I, I felt like Bagley was constantly thrilling me with like just how much he's evolved as a as an artist. But then I felt like, you know, uh, it fit in some places and didn't in others. There's a version of this book where every decade is a different artist doing a style similar to the, you know, that book that I think I would have been thrilled by. But then I also felt like I would miss the consistency and watching Peter age under the same artist pen. And so I can see the value in both approaches. What did you guys think? I think like as, as far as like the period goes, like the art just didn't work for me. 
my my idea of Mark Bagley's art is so tied to Ultimate Spider-Man. Ultimate Spider-Man's aesthetic is so tied to the early aughts when it was really hot that it's just difficult for me to see a story set in the 60s in Mark Bagley's art and see it as the 60s and not just you know, 20 years ago. I keep waiting for that no effects t-shirt to show up, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That was his like, uh, I'm a cool guy in the ultimate universe. Uh, But yeah, it it definitely felt like of like a 90s piece or like an early aughts. For me, it was the coloring that really kind of took me out of it was we got this very non-localized colors in this, you know, like modern colorists do, which is like really great. I, I felt like, to see the kind of like nuances of shading and and gradients and non-localized colors in like a 60s Spider-Man comic, I felt like it was a real missed opportunity to kind of like uh, set it in a time of place in terms of the comics as a medium rather than like just drawing it differently. I mean, I, again, I could see the value of both. It, it made it noticeable to me. I'm like, ah, it's very weird to see this kind of dull kind of, muted color styling in, in this era, especially in an era with, with colors as vibrant as the 60s and 70s and 80s. I, I will I will say one other point to the art. There was one specific detail that when when we got that last scene of Craven in the 80s, Craven was drawn naked. So like, is, is this just like an integral part of this character that anytime there's a Craven story, there has to be at least one scene where he's just butt naked? I think it's a mandate at this point. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, his regular costume's a loincloth, so come on. I mean, you know, like he's it's he's going to lose it at some point. It's just this, you know, it's it's the Chekhovian gun of Craven. You know, it's his loincloth. It's Chekhov's loincloth. It's got to come off. <laughs> I do think that Mark Bagley's heart was in this work completely. Like I've seen a lot of modern Bagley stuff where I, I wonder like how much he's invested in it. And this, like whether they gave him more time or whatever, cause we know Mark Bagley can produce quickly. He can do a comic in like two weeks. You know, this felt like a really solid effort from him. I mean, crowd scenes that were really incredible and like big scale destruction and really intimate character moments. It, if this was kind of like a career highlight, like like bow out of the industry nod from him, I would totally buy it as his like final Spider-Man story at, from a guy who's written like a half dozen final Spider-Man or drawn a half dozen final Spider-Man stories. I thought he really kind of stepped it up there and, and had a whole range. I mean, what we got like rainy nights and outer space and, octopus battles i mean there was a lot going on one thing i was wondering about though because you guys keep getting to the point that you know this is the guy who did ultimate for so long and i guess that was part of what kind of pulled me off was thinking like this is the one artist we've seen do spider-man so much so in my mind you know 90s 2000s and so that feeling was there and if we had maybe someone else who's maybe willing to take a little range and play maybe with more of the limitations of the day or touch on kind of the art of the decade, it might have brought the book together in a way that might have been a little bit more comic book history blended in with the story through the ages. And I don't know if that would have been better or worse, but it feels like it really would have fit this title. 
I certainly don't like complain about the kind of uniformity of art when I read something like X-Men Grand Design. That, But that also, that artwork is so singular and so separate from what you see in regular comics or regular X-Men comics that it feels like its own thing. So maybe it was the very nature of putting a big name Spider-Man artist on this that made it seem like it was both locked into Spider-Man, a specific part of Spider-Man's history in, in a way that like X-Men grand design stuff isn't. Your friend, Mark, kind of did like a tease at it. Uh, Mike Fife. So maybe, maybe we'll get that book somewhere down the road. what do you guys think of Spider-Man's costumes in this? I mean, we got a bunch of new ones here. We got the debut of the Black Goblin, which means I have to create a new phone number. What do you think of these costumes? I, I like the f- function of them, like the kind of knee pads that grew over the whole body, but I felt like the, the visuals of them were kind of lacking. Can we get something that mixes design and function, please? I did like the fact that they kind of met the age of where the character is at at the time, with maybe the exception of the last one, where you kind of get extra armor because you'd think, oh, he wants a little more protection. And then it kind of eventually becomes more of like a compression suit because he's old and he just wants to keep it all together. I, <laughs> I, I thought that was very telling, but... The one I couldn't really get behind was the spacesuit one. That just looks so goofy to me. You could see the eyes. It was just like a mask painted over an astronaut costume. I I don't know. That didn't do it for me. Was it the 90s one where his eyes are like, like they like bulge out a bit? Like they're externalized? Like they're like the goggles or something? Yeah. Like that the- really threw me off. Yeah. Or was that the one in the two? That was kind of like the superior look. Is kind of what I got out of it. Oh, I think you're right. Yeah, we do get that smart nod to the hoodie, where like Ben is wearing like a blue shirt like the whole time and pulls out the red mask from it. I thought that was kind of clever. I mean, this book is full of that stuff, you know. And I was I was kind of thrilled to read it. So, okay, final thoughts. Any final thoughts on a book like this? I just want more more of it. Like uh, kind of like what I said earlier. I would definitely read kind of the the spider or I'm sorry the Captain America and Iron Man side of this where we kind of go through all those conflicts and these two characters butting heads I, I think there's enough work here that I'm sure Zdarsky plotted uh, just so that he could keep the story together I think there's enough there that we could read a story about that do we know anything about that is that something that we've heard anything about yet uh, no, but I, I wouldn't terribly be surprised. I th- like, like you said, this sold pretty well. I think last I checked, this this thing was selling like in the upper forties, which is phenomenal for a B title at this point. Well, you would be the one to know that, and that you did the sales talk for us when we used to do that uh, feature on the site. So let's give it some grades then. Let's start with you, Kane. You started the conversation. What grade do you want to give this thing? Uh, I'm going to give this an A minus. And Matt? I'll echo Kane on this one. I think that's the right place to put it. A minus. And Mark? I'm just going to give it a nudge below, but a B plus. But again, like to my earlier point of the show, like I, I would love to see more than this. I mean, you know, rather than getting like 18 different like sub mini series in a, a spider event, like, you know, three parts looking at this character and that I would much rather have like a six, seven part finite out of continuity story about Spider-Man like this any day of the week. Like I, 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 I really wish Marvel would focus on telling real truly new stories instead of just trying to like invent 
stuff for characters that nobody cares about. So anyway, so B plus for me. <laughs> I'm hearing that you're not excited about Absolute Carnage Scream right now. And well, right, exactly. You know, we 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 need we need more about Scream. <laughs> this got me buying a B book, which is like a big you know step up for me. I, I have really divorced myself from buying all those issues. You know, sometimes I I feel like I miss out, but you know, in this case, I, I was happy to jump on that bandwagon. I'm with you guys. I'm going to give it an A minus. Uh, this is a solid story, and uh, uh, like I'll echo Mark's thoughts. Let's let's get more things like this across our spider line. I can't imagine it's easy. Like this is like a harder thing to go than like, what was this character doing? Well, you know, give let's come up with some random villain for him to fight. This is a thoughtful, like years worth of work and research that went into producing something like this. You know, unless Zdarsky, and I'm sure he is like any of us where we can rattle off Spider-Man stories all night long not to the benefit of our significant others. I keep using this term. But uh, yeah, great. I'm so glad that we had you guys here to talk with us about this Spider-Man life story. I guess if you listened to this and you didn't buy it, go buy it. Otherwise, hurrah, Excelsior. This episode wouldn't be possible without the support from our wonderful Patreon subscribers, whose patronage allows us to assemble the guests we have on the show and do all of our research. If you enjoy the show and want to help us continue, while also getting amazing bonus content and additional episodes that we never release publicly, go to our show notes and check out our Patreon page and consider joining our team. Well, thanks again to Kane and Matthew from the Untold Talks of Spider-Man podcast for joining us to talk about Spider-Man life story. I hope we can get them back on again for a future show. But in the meantime, go check out their show. It's an awesome show all about the kind of like hidden secret stories of Spider-Man's past and present. I have a lot of fun listening to it, so I can only encourage everybody to go check them out. Yeah, definitely check them out. But what's coming next for our show? I mean, clearly there's got to be something that we have not been teasing for months, right? Coming next? Yeah, we are actually going to cover the Spider-Man newspaper strip next, as promised and teased for those several months, as Mark alluded to. It's actually going to happen now. But, you know, I, I hope you guys have enjoyed the content that we've kind of given you in the meantime. It was just one of those things where a bunch of really cool opportunities arose and we kind of had to take them. So... I mean, I, I think people were happy to hear from Eric Larson, Todd McFarlane. Those are things that will allow us to put a discussion between Mark and I on a little bit of the back burner. But you're going to get that episode now. So if you did catch up and read a bunch of newspaper strips, your patience will be rewarded, I hope. Huzzah! And also for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed this week for a special review of Amazing Spider-Man number 29. But if you like Venom like us, then come for Dan's coverage of the Absolute Carnage event. There's no better place to join on the Patreon bandwagon than to join us for our exciting coverage of the all-newest Spider-Man comics. Remember, for just $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, you'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, B-Book reviews, extended interviews, and more. And for $10 or more a month, you'll get access to some awesome commissioned artwork this season from Barry Kitson. I just sent out all the rewards from the past Patreon stuff, and people are already showing me it hung up in their homes and that's been really fun to see. Mark, I even sent you one. Yeah, it's it's gorgeous. Well, I'm so glad. So yeah, go check out the Untold Talks of Spider-Man podcast. But if you're going on the internet and you want even more discussion of Spider-Man, check out our amazing Spider-Slack community to join. It's like a forum 
for just talking Spider-Man and there's nothing better than that. And there's a link in the show's description for you to click on and come join us there in that feed. But also a special thank you to Rick Coast, our amazing, spectacular, adjectiveless web of editor who cut together this very episode and all of our episodes and makes the show possible to happen because man, I with eight kids cannot edit this thing anymore. So Rick, you are the man and thank you. And thank you from all of our listeners. I'm sure. Absolutely. Thank you, Rick. Now, Dan, when you're not looking after eight kids, where can we find you on social media? <laughs> Just you saying it sounds absurd. I know. It is kind of absurd. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter in my limited time at, at SupSpiderTalk, where I'm talking about Spider-Man all the live long day. Mark, you and your one child, I mean... Pfft, where can we find you on the internet? Right. Well, I mean, I have one child, but I run marathons, which is like the time consumption of like eight children. So there we go. <laughs> and, and and definitely more calorie consumption than eight children. There we go. Although I probably eat as much as eight children. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chasing ASM Blog. And of course, you can always find my book, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. And in that book, it is clear to state our motto, Mark, as we're always sure to remember... And my eight children have now forcibly memorized. With great podcasts must also come the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.